as I was getting this message prepared and uh, kind of going over the notes, I've been able over the last year to preach the Gospel of John with our small church plant on Cape Cod. And um, we went through John 14 together a few months ago. And um, as I was watching that video, I, I, I thought of something. Have you, ever, have you ever felt like Charlie? Like, Charlie's having fun. But just for a minute, think about this. You ever felt like life just kind of grabs you, <laughs> picks you up, <laughs> just tosses you, just throws you up in the air, and there's really nothing you can do but just flap your legs really fast and try to get somewhere, and you're just, you're out of, you're completely, nothing's in your control at all. I have felt like that, especially within the last year. With the housing crisis, sure, over the whole, across the whole country, yes, but especially on the Cape, where the average price of a house, I'm talking like two bedrooms, one bath, 800 square feet, around 550K. By the way, it's not very close to a church planner's salary. <laughs> and that's what I have to look at all the time when I'm trying to find a place and trying to find, even to rent, there's nothing to rent. Now because those prices for the houses are so high, guess what else is high? Rent. Ever felt like that where you're just, you're kind of just out of control? And you're not laughing like Charlie having fun. You're stressed out of your mind. John 14 takes place in the timeline of the life of Jesus immediately after the disciples of Jesus kind of really got thrown. Got some unexpected bad news. John 13, the chapter before, starts the uh, story and the, the um, situation, the um, moments of the Last Supper where Jesus takes his disciples and they go up to the upper room and they're having their final dinner together. Now, the disciples don't know this at the time, that this will be the Last Supper with Jesus, but Jesus knows. And at this Last Supper, uh, before the arrest of Jesus, before uh, his torture and, and uh, imminent death on the cross, Jesus tells them some things around the dinner table in John 13. He tells them that he's going to be leaving them in verse 33 of John 13. That he's leaving them. He tells them in verse uh, 21 that one of them, one of the chosen, one of the disciples is going to betray him. He also tells them in John 13 that, that Peter, their fearless leader of sorts, is going to deny him three times. Listen, I've, been, I've had some awkward dinner conversation before. Believe me, this takes it to a whole new level. These disciples have followed Jesus everywhere. They've seen him do amazing things. They've seen the supernatural power of God through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was God. And now at dinner, Jesus is telling them these really bad, all this bad news, and they're really thrown for a loop. Talk about unexpected bad news. They didn't see any of this coming. No, they had plans. The disciples had plans. They, they had vision for the ministry of Jesus. It, it was really just starting to take off. And, and they were excited. And God was working. And Jesus was just healing. And it was amazing. And they had plans. And none of it included what Jesus had just told them around the dinner table. You're leaving? You're le One of us is going to betray you? Who is it? And remember, they're talking like, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And then Peter's like, I would never. And Jesus tells Peter, their leader, you're going to deny me. Before the next day, their hearts were disturbed around the dinner table. That's John 13. John 14, where we're going to be looking today and going through the chapter today, 
is Jesus responding to their troubled hearts. Jesus responding to their anxious, worried, fearful, broken hearts. Now, church family, this morning, can you relate to any of those adjectives? Anxious, fearful, worried, broken. No, I can. Definitely. And the response that Jesus gives to his disciples in John 14, can I say, is the same response, the same words that he wants to speak to your heart this morning, to your troubled, anxious, worried, fearful, or broken heart. Are you struggling today? Let's be real with ourselves. There's no better place to be real than at the house of God, because that's where real change can happen. The house of God. Are you struggling today? Are you weary today? Are you anxious today? Are you, hey, fearful of the future today? Are you stressed about even just the week ahead today? Are you burdened with your past today? Are you unsure of your purpose today? Are you wondering what went wrong in life today? Are you doubtful of what you once believed today? Are you mourning the loss of broken dreams today? Jesus is speaking to you this morning. And these are his words. Hear them, believe them, hold on to them, and let them whisper peace to your broken soul. And we're going to start in John 14. Remember, the disciples are broken, anxious, fearful. They just got all this bad news. And then John 14 begins, and we see the words of Jesus to them in verse number one. And he says this, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Father God, we love you. We need you this morning. Please speak to hearts this morning. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, that has not accepted you, that has not received you in your grace, help them to make that choice today and believe on you. And for the Christian today who's weary, who's anxious, maybe the ones who look like they have it all together, who have the facade on their face that everything's great, everything's fine, there's nothing to worry about, but deep in their soul, there's brokenness, there's emptiness, maybe even addiction and shame and guilt. Would you deliver us today? Would you speak to hearts today? And I speak the name of Jesus over this precious group of people today. Use us and use your word and speak into life today in your, Jesus, in your, in your precious name. In the, in the name of Jesus, we ask for all these things. Amen. Jesus is leaving them and they just don't get it. They don't really get it. And we're going to take these 31 verses, and I'm going to quickly jump through. I want to give you some context about what Jesus says to them, and then we're going to make some application. We'll be done today. Pastor Dan told me that there's no evening service tonight, so he graciously asked, hey, hey, since there's no evening service today, would you be willing to take two messages and make it that long for our people? I know they love long preaching, right? Yeah, right, okay? We're going to try to get through this quick. Uh, John 14. I want to break down some context before we get into application, so stay with me. I'm not going to read all 31 verses, but we're going to pick some pieces out, so just follow along as best you can. Jesus gives them a few reasons why he has to leave them in John 14. Remember, speaking words of comfort, trying to speak peace to their hearts. 
And he gives them a few reasons why he has to leave them. So we're going to read through some of these scriptures, stop along the way and see those reasons. The first one we see in the first, uh, oh my goodness, probably six verses or so. He, he's leaving to prepare a place for them. It says, let not your heart be troubled in verse one. You believe in God, believe also in me. Verse two, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Look what he says. I go to prepare a place for you. He's going to prepare a place for them. We love these scriptures. We talk about heaven all the time, and it's amazing. I love it. Well, Thomas says, well, how can we know the way in verse 5? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And we know Jesus responds and says, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's leaving to prepare a place for them. He goes on and gives them another reason. He's leaving not just to prepare a place for them, but he, he's leaving so he can show them the Father, verses 7 through 11. He talks about that. Look at verse 7. If he had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. He's told them this multiple times, that he is the Father. Him and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. He's told this to the crowds, to everybody. His disciples have heard this many times. And what does Philip say in verse 8? Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. It'll satisfy us. That'll be enough for us. And Jesus says in verse 9 unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us? He's like, Philip, what are you talking about, man? I've already told you this. What do you mean, show us the Father? I've told you. I and the Father are one. So he's leaving them because he knows that when he's there, they're kind of missing it. He needs to leave so that they can really make sense of it all. And they don't get it yet. And he says, I am the Father. He has to leave so he can show them the Father. Verse 11, he says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake, for his miracles. What other reasons, though? He also has to leave them so he can grant them the privilege of prayer. Verse 12 through 14 talks about this. Listen, when the disciples needed something, they could just ask Jesus right there in the flesh. He's right there. He knows that he has to leave so that they can begin praying to the Father in, in, in the name of Jesus for these things. Verse 12, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever, verse 13, Ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. He needs to leave so he can grant them the privilege of prayer. Why else though? He has to leave so he can send them the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, all the way through verse 26, he talks about leaving so that the Spirit can come. Jesus was all God, amen? He was, all, he was also all man. And man don't live forever, do they? He knew that he was going to be, he knew he was going to die, but even if he didn't die on the cross, guess what? He's going to get to a certain age and die because he was a man. And he knew that he wouldn't be there forever, the physical body of Jesus Christ there with them, but he knew that if he left, guess what? The Spirit is from the same Spirit of God that was with the disciples is the same Spirit of God that we have in us today. Amen. So he knew he had to leave so he could send them the Holy Spirit. We see in verse 16, I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me because I live, ye shall live 
also. And at the end of these verses, in verse 25, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He had to leave so he could send them the Holy Spirit. He's speaking words of comfort to their hurting hearts this morning. I have to leave so I can prepare a place for you. So I can show you the Father. So I can grant you the privilege of prayer. So I can send you my Holy Spirit. He, I will not leave you comfortless. It's, listen, he knows that it's about to get really, really hard for the disciples. They don't get it yet. The disciples are like you and me. A lot of things just go right over our heads, don't they? He knew that they were going to face some dark days. He says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send my Spirit. The Spirit's coming. But I have to leave so that can happen. And lastly, the last reason he's leaving is so he can grant them his peace. Verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. He says that phrase again. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, he might believe. Verse 30, hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. He's got nothing on Jesus, right? The enemy has nothing on Jesus. He's already lost. And Jesus knows that when he dies on that cross, the enemy's going to think that it's his ultimate victory, when in reality it's his ultimate defeat. Hallelujah for that. Verse 31, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. He knew what he had to do. The disciples didn't get it yet. And then he says, arise, let us go hence. And this is when they leave dinner. Judas Iscariot has already left in, verse, in chapter 13. He's already gone. Remember Jesus said, what you're going to do, just do it quickly. And Judas leaves. So it's Jesus and his 11 disciples, they get up, and now, through the next few chapters, 15, 16, and 17, they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where... Judas is going to come with the, with the band of soldiers and arrest him. Peter's going to chop off some guy's ear. It's about to get real crazy. It's about to get real confusing. They're, not, they're all going to flee. Jesus knows this, and they don't. So what was the purpose of all these reasons that he gave them? Why he had to leave? To prepare a place, to grant them privilege of prayer, to show them the Father, to send the Holy Spirit, to grant them his peace. Not the peace that the world can give. That doesn't last. It's not really real peace, but his peace. Why did he give all these reasons? What was the purpose behind it? His words at this last supper before they took that journey to the garden to give them comfort, to help their hurting hearts. And the root of this whole dialogue that he gives to them around that dinner table begins in verse 1 with those six powerful words from the lips of the Savior, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. They were troubled. They were stressed. They didn't get it. So let's insert ourselves into the story here. Let's, let's in the midst of Jesus' words of comfort, three disciples speak up around the dinner table. And we can relate to the disciples. Guess what? The disciples were not God, God people. No, they were men. They were people just like you and me, with stresses and anxieties, with weaknesses and strengths. And three disciples speak up around the dinner table. And their hearts are our hearts so often. They were people like you and me. They asked questions like we ask. They wondered. 
They, they were broken. They were fearful. And Jesus is trying to prepare them for what is to come. They were getting ready, unbeknownst to them, for the darkest night and three days to follow in history. They have no clue what's about to come. They have no clue that this walk to the garden will be the final steps they take with Jesus before he is arrested and put on a cross to die. They have no clue, and Jesus is trying to prepare them for what's coming. So what can we learn from their words? How can we see ourselves in their questions? Church, God has something for you this morning. Listen, I'm telling you, I've seen it, you've seen it, Dan. You try to preach the word of God. The enemy wants to distract you this morning and every other message that's preached from the word of God. If he can get you to not focus, he wins. You can still be at church and get nothing. God has something for every one of us this morning. All of us. Some of you are facing the same feelings that the disciples were facing at this time. You have the same questions in your life regarding what you are facing. So let's look at what the disciples said, make some application, and finish up this morning. Thomas starts off this dialogue. He's the first disciple to speak up when Jesus says, Hey, uh, you know, I'm going away. He goes, Well, how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. We have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? First statement is this. Sometimes, even after all we've learned and lived, we still feel lost. Just remember that Jesus is always the way home. Thomas has walked with Jesus. Thomas has seen the miracles. Thomas has heard the words of Jesus and watched uh, uh, the dead raised to life and the blind given sight and the deaf uh, hearing again. Thomas has seen it all. Thomas knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He believes. And yet after all he's seen, after all he's witnessed personally, he still is like, well, we don't know what's going on. We don't know how to get, we don't know the way. Sometimes even after all we've learned and lived, we still feel lost. You can go to church your whole life and still wonder what your purpose is, wonder what's going on, wonder what, what I'm supposed to do. Like the story of the prodigal son who left his father's house. He took his share of the inheritance early, which was such a disrespectful thing in those times. You're supposed to wait until your father's dead to get your inheritance. He wanted his early takes his inheritance, goes and spends it, the scriptures say, on riotous living, partying, has all these fake friends that are falling around for the party, runs out of everything, right? Ends up in the hog pen, lost and undone, eating the pig food, feeling worthless, forgotten, unworthy to even be a son. Remember what happens to him? He says, maybe, this is, this is, this is the, what am I doing here? I could at least go back home and at least be a servant if you'll even take me. He says he came to himself. So what happens? We see that he goes home and we know what happens, that the father's waiting for him and welcomes him. There's a party. Listen, he was lost. This prodigal son was lost. But we see that Christ is the way, isn't he? We see that he was ignorant. He thought, I could just be a servant. He, he took his, his share early and partied like a foolish person. But we know that Christ is the truth that brings us back to reality. And then he, he was dead spiritually. Yes, he made so many foolish choices, but when he came to himself, comes home. Christ is, is the life. He runs back to his father. He's welcomed home, not as a servant, but as a son. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And church, we have got to stop searching for peace in all the wrong places. 
Because we know the way. We know the truth. The truth. The truth. And we know the life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Sometimes even after all we've learned and lived, we still feel lost. And we must remember that Jesus is always the way home. I've searched for peace in the wrong places. Pride. Fame. Independent Baptist fame, I guess you could say. Stop searching for purpose in all the wrong places, identity in all the wrong places, your job, your marriage, your children, your wallet. If I can just get this promotion, if my kids can just turn out right, if, this, if my marriage could just be perfect, and we think that will give us purpose, identity, and security, and I promise you, that's not how it's meant to be. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You're chasing a ghost when you're looking for purpose in all those other places. It's not there. It's in Jesus Christ. And that leads right to the next disciple that speaks up. We see Philip in verse 8 says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Sometimes what we have been searching for has been there the whole time. We just weren't paying attention. Can I say that again? Sometimes what we have been searching for Longing for, desiring, has been there the whole time. We just weren't paying attention. These disciples had seen and heard Jesus say multiple times that he was the Father, that Jesus was the Father, that I and the Father are one. He was sent from the Father. They're one and the same. Jesus had told them this, and still Philip says, show us the Father, and we'll, that'll be enough for us. We'll be satisfied. Philip was all about sight and all about seeing. It was Philip when he left the ministry of John the Baptist and came to Jesus and began following Jesus. It was Philip that went to Nathanael, and what did he say? Come and see. you got to see it for yourself. It was also Philip at the feeding of the 5,000 before the miracle happened. It was also Philip that looked at the crowds and said, not even a year's worth of wages could feed all these people. Philip was all about sight. He kept missing it just like we do. We say, God, I just want to see you move in my life. God, God, I just want to feel closer to you. God, uh, why don't you take this pain away that's eating away at my soul? God, why don't I have any friends? God, can you, can you please just use my life? And we say all that as we walk through this broken world with the word of God at our fingertips. God, I just want you to speak to me. You say, God, I just want to, I just want to speak to you. I want you to speak to me, Lord. God, why can't I hear from you, God? Why am I not hearing your voice? I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. The people of God all around us reaching out. I don't have any friends. Why does no one care about me? And you're surrounded. We're not perfect. I'm not saying, listen, none of us are perfect. Every church has some jerks, right? Except for Northside. I'm being real with you this morning, church. Listen, Lord, no one likes me. I have no friends. I have no one to talk to. And you're in a church, the house of God, the people of God. Lord, I want you to use me. And you have opportunities to serve and be used of God all over this place and all over this community. 
around every corner, especially in the local church. Lord, I don't want to hear from you. The, the preaching of the Word of God is at your disposal. You miss a Sunday. It's probably live-streamed or, or recorded somewhere. Opportunities to worship in our pain. I'm, I'm so hurting. My heart is broken. I feel so lost. And there's opportunities to sing the songs of God. Hear the sound of uh, the heart of heaven beating. Jesus saves. Chains are falling. Uh, hope is dawning, bright and true. These songs of God that when we sing them with the right heart, our hearts are lifted, our praise is lifted to God, and our spirits are stirred. And you say, I'm just so, I'm just so weary and anxious and tired. We miss it. You say, God, use me. I want to be used by God. And he's saying, I've placed you in your job, in your neighborhood, in your town, in your church, on purpose to reach into the lives of those people. So what are we waiting for? God, use my life. God, I want to help people. God, I want to reach people. And when's the last time you shared the gospel with someone at your job? When's the last time you grabbed one of those Easter invitations or church invitations and invited someone to church so that they can experience the same hope that you have? God, I want you to use me. When's the last time you knocked on your neighbor's door with a plate of cookies or a pie, or if you can't cook, a gift card to Catalyst or something? (laughs) Right? By the way, can I say this, Dan? Without any expectations. Sometimes we're like, well, if I can do this and this for them, then they'll come to church. How about we just love people like Jesus loves just to do it and let the Spirit of God do the work? I'm not saying we don't invite people to church, believe me, but I'm not saying we we can't look at everybody like a salesman. It's like, if I can just get my numbers up. No, no, no. How about we just love people like we're commanded to just because. When the Spirit of God leads us to invite and reach out, then we do that. Yes, we follow the Spirit of God when it's real. Say, God, use me. And there's opportunities all around you. Say, God, speak to me. Well, hey, get in the Word then. He's ready to speak to you. Uh, get to church. When you're here, actually hone in and focus on the message instead of worrying about the, the scores of the latest sports game or whatever it is you watch. I know football's not going on right now. I don't know what is popular up here from St. Albans for sports. I'm not even sure who you root for up here. Maybe some Canadian hockey team or something. Go Quebec. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I don't know. But like, let's hone in and focus on the Word of God. God, I want you to speak to me. God, help my heart. My heart is hurting. I don't want to belittle your hurting heart. Because guess what? I've had a hurting heart. Recently, I've had a hurting heart. A broken, anxious heart. But can I tell you what encourages my soul? Yes, the Word of God. Yes, the songs of God's in my headphones or while I'm driving and just tears. But how about even beyond that, gathering with the people of God? Oh, giving hugs, singing the songs of Jesus, laughing together. Oh my goodness, how that has helped me. Jesus says, God says, worship me. You want to help your hurting heart? Worship me. Surround yourself. Immerse yourself in worship. In the car, at the house, sing in the shower for all I care. I don't care. Worship him. And beyond all those things, listen, God has given you, he says, I've given you a place to come and worship me corporately with your community, with your brothers and sisters. Do we see it? Philip missed it. Show us the Father will be satisfied. Sometimes what we have been searching for has been there the whole time. We just weren't paying attention. It's right there and we miss it. Matt, keep this 
Keep this slide up for just a minute. Don't put the next one up yet. Thanks so much. I want to read the scripture first, and I want to kind of build into it. The last disciple that speaks up is Judas, not Iscariot. I love how John puts that in there. Not Iscariot, okay, not him. The other Judas says to the Lord, Lord, why, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and, and not to the whole world at large? Now, Jesus had talked about being the Messiah, but it's not like they had made this huge spectacle of it. And the disciples are like, he says he's leaving. He says someone's going to betray him. Like, if he's the Messiah, which we believe he is, why is he kind of keeping it just in this small circle right now? Why wouldn't he tell the world? Doesn't that seem like a better idea? Like, God, why are you, why are you just telling us and not the world? And the last statement, sometimes God answers our prayers differently than we expect. And we must choose to trust His heart over our feelings. This one is hard for me. I don't like this one that much. Judas didn't understand, and really probably all of them. They, they, they still thought and hoped that Jesus as the Messiah was going to be this war hero that was going to come and rescue the Israelites, the people of God that for so long had been oppressed and now again were being oppressed by the Roman government. And they hoped and, and, and really kind of, even though we had said like, hey, that's not why I'm, they were like, yeah, but still maybe he's going to rescue his people. We are the people of God, right? Like when's our time to shine again? And they hoped that he would come and rescue and overthrow this tyrannical government of the Romans and free their people. And how could he do that? Nobody really knew that he was the Messiah. Because those same people that were waving the palm branches a few days earlier saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, they were the ones that were going to be saying, crucify him, crucify him just moments later, that same night. It didn't make sense to them. He was going to die? How does that, how does that fit into the narrative, Jesus? How, how, like, you're leaving? It didn't make sense to them. In some ways, they really already, already had it all planned out. They, they kind of had like, this, this is probably what's going to happen. And they were all, remember how much they argued about who was the greatest? Like, one of us is going to sit next to him on the throne, so who's it going to be? Is it going to be you? No, it's going to be me. I'm, I'm. They already have it all figured out, what they thought should happen, what they thought would be best. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been guilty of that? Here, God, I have all the plans for my life planned out right here. So you just, I think you're going to love it, by the way. You're going to love it. I got some good stuff in here, Lord. So I just need you to sign here and here and here and here. And then we can, you know, I can serve you. I, can, I have all these plans. And they include you, by the way. It's not just about me. I have great things I want to do for you, Lord. So all I got to do is sign here and here and here. We take these huge steps forward in a life that's not even ours to begin with that are leading us to things that we want but aren't even sure or even care if it's what God actually wants. I've prayed for things. I've asked God for things. I've believed God for things that I wasn't supposed to have. I've had great faith for things that God didn't want me to have. Sometimes, church, God answers our prayers differently than we expect. 
And we must choose to trust his heart over our feelings. When our landlord came to us, my goodness, probably about a year, about a year ago now, we had just got our permits for the church buildings, our occupancy permits. It was so amazing. We got our permits. We got occupancy. God had worked it out in a beautiful way with the, the town inspector that a few months earlier was threatening us with violations and all these things. God had just built this great relationships with him, and he came and, and passed us simply and was helpful to me, and it was just amazing. Got our permits. We were thrilled. We had our first service you know, where we could actually invite people legally, and we hadn't been doing that before, and it was, people came, and people got saved, and it was so amazing. Sunday, some Sunday in late March, maybe early April, I can't remember, right around a year ago, the next day after that service, of our first service with the permits, I got an email from my landlord saying she was still in the house. By the way, in January of that same year, I had reached out to my landlord and said, hey, um, are you ever planning on selling the house? You know, I know her dad had built it, she had grown up in that house. I said, because we're beginning to think there was like a housing lottery someone had recommended to us, and we're like, and she goes, if you need to move, I understand, but I'm not planning on selling at all, I'm just not ready to, and if I ever do, I really want you guys to buy it, and I'm like, and so we prayed about it, so you know what, I told my landlord, you know what, we're going to stay here and keep renting, it's stable, we know how much it's going to be, and we're just going to wait a few more years until you're ready to sell, and, and she said, oh, that's so great, I'm so happy, three months later, she says, I'm selling the house. It was really kind of annoying, to be honest. It was. I'm like, we had planned vacations already because we're thinking we're going to be here. She goes, I- I'm, I'm going to be selling. I'd like for you guys to buy it, but if you decide not to, I can give it to the end of August. I'm like, she's like, if you can come up with a down payment uh, and financing in the next 30 days, then I'm like, down payment? Like, and she was offering to me for almost $700,000. I'm like, do you know? She, we had a pretty good relationship. I'm like, you know what I do for a living. Like, we've talked about how grateful we are for this home and the fact that the rent's not super high. Like, you know this. Now you're up $700,000? Like, a down payment for that? Like, come on now. And we began praying in faith. God, give us this house. God, this is where we started our church in the same house. It fits our family perfectly. It's safe for our son, Seth. It's fenced in. There's room to reach out. It's right by the boys' schools. It's two minutes from the church building that we just got. It's a great price. Lord, give us this home. Make a way for us to get this home. Help her to lower the price. Help her to do a rent to own. Help her, Lord, I believe in faith. Help my unbelief. You're going to give us this house. I'm naming it. I'm claiming it. You're going to give us this house. And guess what? He didn't. He didn't. In fact, the relationship ended kind of sourly. We're in September without a place to live. She let us stay one extra month. And we're, it was like midway through September, we had nowhere to live. And I'm like, oh. Lord provided some places through a miracle again. Kind of let us go to the last minute there so he could get the glory. Then we found another house for sale. Beautiful big farmhouse. 436 Main Street. I had an alarm on my phone, 4.36 p.m. Every day I prayed for that home. It was pretty run down, but it was beautiful. Old captain's home on the Cape. And, and it had been bought for a pretty cheap price. Then they were trying to sell it in the market for like a million. I'm like, it's not going to sell for a million dollars. We said, God, give us this home. You're going to give us this home. Lord, you're going to give us this home. You're going to provide for us for this home. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. We prayed. Our church prayed. Our supporting churches prayed. We believed God would give it to us. Guess what? It sold, but not to me. See what I'm getting at here? 
There was a building we were looking at in March of 2020 for the church lease space. I thought it would be perfect. Remember, our, our realtor said, this is his place. It'll be not too expensive for the lease payment each month. And I remember it was a beautiful storefront. With right when you walk in, there was like a little kind of the sliding glass for like an office. I think it'd be a great nursery where you could just like kind of pass the babies through the window. I'm like, this would be great. There was a classroom. And then they had, it was an old dance studio. So it was this big open room with a bunch of mirrors. I'm like, okay, we'll get the mirrors out of here at least. But I'm like, this will be great. It's a big open space. This will be perfect to start our church. We got an architect in that drew up prints. We've already making plans. I think I put a video out showing our sporting church. It's like, look at this place. I believe God's going to give us this place. And guess what? He didn't. Right before lockdown in 2020, we had our contractor come in and say, yeah, you're going to need a second bathroom. We're going to take this bathroom back from the next door convenience store and do this construction. It's going to be like 30 grand just to get a second bathroom, just to have the small space. And it just didn't work. But guess what? Guess what? A few weeks later, guess what? Everything got locked down anyway. I wouldn't even, even have service in that building. A year later, I'm at the stop and shop across the street from this dance studio lease space that still hadn't been rented out. We were already in our building. God was blessing. And we're driving out, and Charlie says, Dad, look at that over there. Look at the hole. I'm like, what hole? He's like, there's a hole. And they're like, no, there's not. I look across at that plaza, and there's like a 30-foot hole in the roof that had crashed down into the convenience store and that of the lease space. There had been a fire at the convenience store that just engulfed the whole place. The whole roof tore down. And guess what? You drive by now, it's completely just down to the concrete. There's no walls, no nothing. I didn't know that was going to happen. God did. Sometimes God answers our prayers differently than we expect, and we must choose to trust his heart over our feelings. God never promised me that he was going to give me exactly what I want, even good things. I want my church to be bursting at the seams right now. We got 60 chairs in there. I want all 60 to be filled and us having to set up more. Guess what? There's not 60 people there. In fact, there's six less today because we're up here. <laughs> and I say, God, grow our church. We want to reach people. We want people to be saved and added. And it's not happening like I want it to. I'm like, God, why? Judas says, why wouldn't you do this? Wouldn't this be better if everybody knew? Jesus knew what was coming. Judas didn't. And I said, God, wouldn't it be better if our church was bursting at the seams and, and, and we just didn't even have a room, we had to go to two services? Wouldn't that be better? And God says, just wait, chill, stop. I got it, man. Wait on me. Because what's he doing? He's, even the good things that I want and pray for and have faith for and believe this will be the best. God says, I never promised I was going to give you exactly what I want. I promised that I was going to take care of you. I had to get to that point this last year when we couldn't find a house. I'm like, you know what? God didn't say he was going to give me exactly the house that I wanted. We may end up living with my in-laws. And guess what? We're still going to be taken care of. You ever remember that old children's book, The Man Under the Bridge? My wife said, this is going to be us. <laughs> but thankfully, it'd be summer. Nice and warm out there. God never promised he was going to give me exactly what I Listen, I would love a nice big house with a big backyard and a nice fence and all that other stuff, not craziness. I'm not talking like this big man. I'm just talking about a nice place for our families where we can host people. God never promised you to give me exactly what I want when I want it. He said, I will take care of you. And what's crazy is I don't know exactly what that will look like as a church, as a family, as a, as a dad. And that's what faith is. 
That's what's challenging, isn't it, Ben? So what are you going to do when what you want doesn't line up with what God wants? When you pray, when you fast, when you seek God's face for something, this is what needs to happen, God, and then that thing doesn't happen. You want to have kids, and it's just not happening. First of all, my heart breaks for you. But we have to trust God. When, when you long for your son to be able to communicate his needs, and you pray for that, and you can hear him right now struggling to communicate with his mother, right? And you say, God, why would you? Sometimes God answers our prayers differently than we expect. And we have to choose to trust his heart over our feelings. So will you choose to trust him? Will you choose to believe that he knows best for you? Because can I tell you that although our journey with Seth is full of challenges, the patience and grace that he has given us, that he has instilled in us, where, where I have finally had to decide, like, there's a lot of things that just aren't that important. As a dad, as a husband, i got to just learn to chill out, man. As a pastor, when you're planning a church, you're working, we're work, I work full-time, 40 hours. My wife works 40 hours as a CNA at the local high school in the special needs classroom, and I work in scheduling at a local nonprofit 40 hours a week, and our kids are in schools, and she actually has a second job, and, and everything is just crazy, 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 and we feel like we don't have enough time to pour into the church sometimes, and, and I'm like, God, like, oh, why is this happening? Why can't we just grow so that I can get paid by the church, and, things, and all these different things are going in your mind, like, Lord, why not? And God is using these trials and challenges to just make me who he wants me to be. To where I'm not as focused on ministry politics. I don't have time for it. (laughs) I have time for people God's given coastline. And my family. And really, in the other order. My family... The people God's given us in our community. I don't, have, I don't have to care about what the other guy down the road's doing. In fact, I'm grateful for his friendship. That's about it. I'm not worried about what, as, as worried about what people are thinking or saying about me because I don't have time to worry about that. And God is using these things in our lives. He's answering our prayers differently than we, would ex, than we expected. And I've had to choose to trust his heart over my feelings. Will you choose to believe that he knows best for you? Or like me, sometimes will you fall into a rut of complaining, of anxiety, or frustration? God answers our prayers differently than we expect, and it shocks us. What? God, you missed it. You missed your opportunity to show yourself in a glorious and grand way. You could have given us that big house on 436 Main Street over there in South Dennis. You would have got so much glory from that. You missed it, man. Who am I? What is man that thou art mindful of him? When all along, his hand has been guiding, putting things together that I never could have dreamed of. I told you that 
We've been in a winter rental since September, two different ones. We were in one the first two weeks of October, small one, tight. Then I had to move to a bigger one, 3,000 bucks a month, 1,000 bucks for utilities. I don't know how we did it, but by the grace of God, right? Seriously, God provided in miraculous ways because we, I don't even know how. Well, we're here now. And we started looking for places. Obviously, this whole, we're like, well, we've got to be out of here by May, so we have to find something in the next few months. So we searched and searched and searched. Winter's slow on the Cape. We didn't find anything. We're just like, nothing's happening. So as we get to January, I'm like, we've got to start really looking. So we're looking for rentals. There's just nothing. Nothing. Then we found a rental. This will be good. This will be good. Then it gets taken. Okay, but you've got to have like a 900 credit score and this. And, okay, well, that's not going to. And then we're like looking around. And finally, someone in our church started coming that got saved. She cleans houses. She said, hey, my friend in Brewster, which is about the, you know, two towns, about 15 minutes away from where we were, has some houses for rent. It's more personal. It's not through like a realty company. It's going to be more. And that's what I really wanted. She goes, and it's four bedrooms. It's in Brewster. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that'd be perfect. It's perfect. We got four kids. Like, we, we, you know, it's me. And, then, and I'm like, we need space. Seth needs space. And so I contact. She goes, hey, there's only one couple ahead of you in line for this house. I don't know how serious they are about it. It, it, it should be, you know, it's probably going to get to you. I'm like, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. She's like, I'll let you know, I'll let you know. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. This is literally three weeks ago. And she's like, yeah, yeah. She's like, okay, blah, blah, blah. And I'm waiting and I'm praying and we're seeking God. We're, we're actually praising the Lord, like, praise the Lord. She comes to me like a week later and says, hey, it looks like they're going to take it. I'm like, she goes, they're, they're, I'm just waiting on their deposit. They're getting ready to get their deposit to me. So obviously things could change, but it kind of looks like, you know, that they're going to take it. It was a great deal, really. I'm like, who wouldn't take that? For the price she was asking for that size house, I'm like, man. And I was just honestly, church, devastated. Devastated. As a father, called to provide for my family in, in a way, obviously the Lord, but, but, you know, to lead my family. I'm like, I just can't even lead my family. I can't even provide for my family. I felt so low. I felt so insecure. So felt so lost. There was nothing. And I got hurt, and I got bent out of shape. At the Lord. I said, I'm tired of making phone calls. I'm tired of looking online. I'm tired of all this, Lord. I've, I've, I've done it, man. I'm here. I'm serving you. You've called me here to the Cape. We've worked so hard, and now I have nowhere to live. I started getting upset with the Lord. To my shame. And I finally said, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I remember driving in the car, tears in my eyes. And I said, I said, Lord, before, before these kids are my kids, they're your kids. And before Marissa is my wife, she's your daughter, you got to take care of your kids. Please. Because I can't. I got nothing to give. I got nothing. I don't got $1,000 in my savings account. I got nothing. You got to do this. Please. Please. And I, I decided I'm not making any phone calls at all, I'm going to just pray, I'm going to fast, that's it. So I did. And I prayed, and I prayed, got really hungry, <laughs> and I prayed, and I prayed, and prayed, I went to the church, and thankfully the, the church is empty, at the house it's hard, all the kids are there, it was a kind of a small winter rental there, everything was in one space. I'm at the church alone, and I'm just crying out to God like I never have before, in tears, begging Him for something. God, you've got, and I spent about an hour there praying, prayed over every seat in our church, prayed over, said, God, you called me. If you're done with me on the Cape, fine. I don't like that, but I'll take it. I'm not even asking for a house anymore, Lord. I'm asking you to just work in my life. 
Forget the house. Forget everything. God, just do what you want to do with my life. Whatever you want, I don't even care. Whatever you want, I, I have nothing else. If you want to take me, if you want me to go work a job in Oklahoma and attend a church and tithe, I'll do that. I don't care. Just whatever you want for my life, just show me. Close any door. Maybe that's why I've closed all these doors for houses. Whatever you want, Lord. And I spent two, three days just praying. Not even for the house. Lord, just work in my life. Work in my life. Use me. Bless my family. You, whatever you want, please, I accept it. That landlord reached out and said, hey, um, there's, I think they're still going to take it, but do you want to like, at least fill out an application just in case? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. She goes, just, just in case. I think they're going to take it, but just in case. I said, oh, so I fill out an application. She goes, hey, let's do a quick Zoom call just to kind of go over some of the basics for the house. And, and again, they're still going to take it. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So we get a Zoom call Thursday. That, that was Monday that I'm praying, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We get on a Zoom call, and she says, so do you have any questions about the house? I'm like, well, it's got enough bedrooms, and it's within my price range. It's good enough for me. That's all I care about. I said, but I understand it's not really to us, and it's, it's theirs, and, and they could just drop the deposit off to you right now. And I said, I appreciate you even doing all this with me, but I understand that anything. And she stopped me. She goes, well, I just want to say something. She goes, if you still want the house, if you still want the house, it's yours. And I'm like, uh-uh. And she goes, yeah, they decided they were going to buy. And she just starts talking on the Zoom call, and I'm like, just overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. And she's like, yeah, do you have any questions? And I'm like, uh, and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, you were carried like a really, 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 really heavy backpack for like a year, <laughs> unable to take it off. And then you finally, it had been a year trying to find somewhere for my family, knowing we had to find somewhere. And he worked it out. We moved this week, church. That's why I kind of want to stay up here for a little bit longer because I hate moving. So unless you want to come down with me, that's why I've been limping so good, so someone will come help me. God did it, and that was not how I expected it to go. It's really not how I wanted it to go, to be honest. But looking back now to see what God did in me and in my wife, and for our little church that knew what was going on, that was praying for us, that was seeing the stress and anxiety that we were under, and then to be able to tell my little church of new believers to say, hey, hey, guess what? God did it. God blessed our faith. We didn't do it. God did it. We prayed, Lord, help these people to back out. Help them to back out. They're, they're only a couple. They don't need four bedrooms. Help them to find something else. And guess what? They did back out. And we saw God do it. Some of us are waiting on answers. We're waiting on some miracles. We're waiting on some solutions in life, in our hearts, in our trials, in our circumstances, in your circumstances. You're waiting and saying, God, why aren't you doing it like I think you should? This would be perfect. And he's just saying, just wait. Just trust. And maybe stop and say, God, you know what? What do you want to do in my life? Forget this need or this or that, Lord. What do you want to do in me? And watch the miracles come. Watch the miracles come. We must choose to trust his heart over our feelings. That's what Missions Conference is about, right? We're getting the gospel out. We're seeing God do great things through Northside. So let's be faithful. Let's be faithful. How do you expect to give financially more to missions if you haven't given him your trust first? Your faith, your heart, your life. How God is already using you, Northside, is amazing. But what he wants to do in an even greater way 
if each one of us individually decide, you know what, even in my hardest things, my biggest questions, I'm going to trust him. He, I may not get the answer I expected, but whatever God's answer is, is the best answer. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life.